Hello, mentors. Welcome to our podcast series, Mentorships in Education, brought to you by Just Education at JustEducationFirst.com. I am your host, Judy Epstein. I am very excited about the wide range of experts who have volunteered to give up their time and expertise. They will share their innovative ideas, their exciting perspectives, their rich resources, and their research with us. Please continue to delve into these topics on their websites and with your legal counsel, healthcare provider, and education professional. Our guests have information that will be relevant to mentors supporting struggling students, parents, teachers, administrators, legal support, and health professionals. We will address all levels of education with issues that affect academic performance. Our goal is to open discussions and introduce a variety of approaches to those searching for information in a free venue. So mentors, let me introduce our guest for today. Hello everyone. Welcome to Mentorships in Education. This is episode 50. 50. It's such a big, big deal for me. It's been a long time in coming. Mentorships in Education has been brought to you by uh, Just Education at uh, an LLC at JustEducationFirst.com. Our guest today has important resources and wisdom that I want you to be aware of. As I mentioned in the last podcast, I've been a little concerned about what's happening with our kids, our teachers and um, parents over the last couple of years. And I feel that we need some direction, not just criticism, but direction. And I feel that. Um, Many times uh, experts and well-meaning professionals, sometimes even our friends, tell us that what we're doing is wrong when we share our frustrations with our, about our kids or even, you know, about, about ourselves. Everyone has an opinion, but few give us direction. And our guest today gives us a roadmap. It's a roadmap. And I want to be able to get uh, to talk about that a little bit. David C. Hall has written a book called The Empowering Parent. I bought it and have read it. And all I can say is when I finished, and I mentioned this to David, is I hoped there was a sequel. And he answered me and said, as a matter of fact, there is a sequel. The book follows a route uh, to connecting you to your child or even to a student. Although it says the title is The Empowering Parent, it could also be The Empowering Teacher or the empowering a mentor is for anyone who's working with kids and needs some direction. It follows a route to connecting you with your child or your student and helping them support them in the learning process. So many people give the destination, but David helps lay out a route step by step. For example, David doesn't just say, It's important for you to build a connection with your child or your student. It's very important. David helps you formulate a plan. He helps you to create the right environment. He tells you what that environment is comprised of. And he helps you to understand your student or your child's behavior within that environment. And he helps explain some tools that you can use, like patience, when and why, and what is it and when to use kindness. Sometimes we do stuff and we don't know why. Sometimes we are told by others to do stuff and don't understand why. This book helps to clarify 
the why. Welcome, David. Thank you so much for joining Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Before we get started, I want to talk a little bit about who you are, give our listeners a little bit of background. It's David C. Hall, and he is a best-selling author. His book is a best-selling. He's award-winning motivational speaker. He's a learning coach and a learning consultant. He has a passion, which I have felt in speaking to him and in reading his book, to unlock potential in children young people, and professionals, and help them to discover how they learn, their learning flow. He wants to focus on how to unlock that greatness that resides within us. We're going to talk about his potential unlocked tuition, PUT, P-U-T. He's a managing director, and it was born out of his desire to see parents supported and to give children the benefits of a great education. So I would like to know a little bit, David, about your background. This is such an insightful book. It had to have risen from some ashes somewhere. And uh, when you and I spoke, um, you talked to me about your school experience and that it wasn't all smooth and wonderful. So why don't you kind of share some of that with us? Sure. So the book was written from a place of working with children in a variety of environments to include um, secondary schools, primary schools, um, special educational institutes, and also my training center. I come to understand uh, some of the challenges that children actually face, parents alongside um, educators. So the book's designed really to support educators and parents to navigate what I call the educational maze. So all children are able to come from a place of struggle to their place of their own success in a nutshell. And so our methodology is designed to do just that, that takes children from the struggle to their success. And you, I know, had some struggles yourself going to school. And you talked to me about a mentor who helped you turn some things around. Can you give us a little background on your experience at school and how um, a mentor, a teacher, whoever it was, was really a, a guiding light for you, helped you define who you were, define who you were? Yes, yeah, sure. So essentially, uh, my story in a nutshell is that when I was quite young, I was diagnosed as being dyslexic. And for those of you who don't know what that actually is, being dyslexic means you have challenges around reading, writing. And also in my case, I had challenges around my speech also. So I had a speech therapist appointed to myself. And uh, throughout um, primary education, I was four years behind uh, my peers. And that had a devastating a devastating impact on my self-esteem and confidence, uh, so much so that I resided to the idea that I was an underachiever and that I could never really um, sort of um, improve. And um, my defining moment essentially was when um, I went to my first parents' evening in secondary school when I was 11 years old, and my phone tutor told my parents that David is a lovely young man but based on his 
results, which we do in year six, when I was um, 10, gone and 11, that wouldn't really attain anything substantial from oh an gosh. academic uh, point, point of view. And um, as you can appreciate at that point in time, it's quite devastating, humiliating, and all the other adjectives to describe that sort of feeling of despair. And uh, my mum, at that point in time, showed up as a mentor in that she saw a display board outside my head teacher's office. And on this display board in particular were all the high achievers uh, in history of my secondary school. And my mum said to me in that moment, David, one day you're going to be up there oh. <laughs> with all those high attainers. And uh, that really spurred me on to see my own potential and helps me to say, well, actually, if my mom believes in me, that's all that matters. And my job now is to ensure that I can put the teacher around and essentially um, attain my own greatness. And so my parents as a collective were very supportive in that they helped me with some tuition on the weekends. Uh, they helped me to, they had, my dad bought me and my brother a computer. So my brother and I could um, improve our literacy skills. But I developed a learning system that helped me to achieve five grades above my predicted grades at secondary wow. school. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. And, That's um, amazing. Just because your mom, your mom believed in you, but that wasn't enough. They also helped give you the tools that you need, you and your brother. It wasn't just, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you. It was, I believe in you, and here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. Absolutely. And so, so yeah, so that taught me uh, when I got those grades that no matter where we are right now, that's okay. But the key thing is that we can, be, we can become anything we want if we've got three things in place. And those three things are having what I call a winning mindset, believing that you can succeed. Um, number two, to have the right support network around you to speak words of life into your life. And number three, to have a clear strategy that will take you from a place of struggle to your place of greatness, your place of success. So do you credit your mom with helping you to find the, the how of, of learning how you need to learn? I mean, it probably wasn't the same way that your brother needs to learn. So is it your mom that helped you with that? Or did she seek other professional advice to help support you through that? Well, my parents as a collective and were and are very supportive. Um, in that my mum saw my potential and so did my dad. Uh, but my mum reaffirmed that potential by telling me what she could see. And I believed her words and I was able to navigate uh, the terrain from struggle to success. Um, but equally, uh, my dad, again, very supportive then and still is. We've, we've given my brother and I the resources to really bridge a gap of struggle to success. So as a collective, and they were able to support my brother and I in different ways, uh, which helped myself in, in the context of being dyslexic to really um, believe our potential, to really um, learn how to learn through 
tuition on the weekends <laughs> and just being just being very supportive with um you know um, not treating me as having a disability um but embracing the person that I was to become um believing in my potential and giving me the space to really flourish and to grow um in who in who was I was to become David were you diagnosed as a dyslexic when you were in in the early years or wasn't it was it until later when did that diagnosis come about Yes, I was diagnosed um, earlier on. My first year in school meant that I was actually statemented um, in reception school. So unlike mainstream mainstream education in the UK, we have 30 children in a class. And my class encompassed six children with two teachers. All right. So would you say, I like to ask people about their aha moment. In other words, when the light bulb went off and you began to realize, oh my gosh, not only can I do this, but if I keep repeating a certain progress process, this is how I am going to be successful. My Your aha moment in what you needed to do for yourself in order to be successful. And I would assume that that, that insight that you developed about yourself was the foundation for some of the work that you're doing and put and also in the book that you that you wrote. Absolutely. And so my two books, um, The Empowering Parents and Inspire Your Greatness, actually is a roadmap of struggle to success. And back then, um, I was able to really understand that I had to believe in my potential um i understood that i had to um, put the work in and i guess my aha moment was when um i was putting the work in um at home or having a regimented routine um of how I would i would complete my homework and revise and so on and then see myself getting like reaching national expected levels um when i was previously an underachiever but then actually achieving my targets um, I never forget the moment when I would have been about 14 years old, there thereabouts, and uh, we had the first set of working at working at grades. And what that means is that your teacher gives a forecast of the grade that you like it to achieve at the end of um, the GCC program. Okay. And I never forget the moment where I saw myself getting seven passes at GCC. These were my first working at grades. And I stood there in that moment. I thought, well, actually, I've done really well here because I had I was at a disadvantage earlier on in my school career. I was able to navigate the terrain of struggle to success with supported parents and obviously me putting the work in too, uh, seeking that support to be one of the highest achievers in my in my year group and leaving school being one of the highest achievers across the board um, in year eleven. This is not the expectation that the teachers thought you would have in taking these these tests or they, doing this work. I'm assuming, would you? This was not the expectation that they thought you would be able to achieve such a high score. Absolutely not, because <laughs> the expectation was that if you're getting a level two B in your SATs, they should be looking to attain a grade F or grade E at GCSE. 
but my lowest grade was a grade D in maths, which I did a VC in and um, two times and I got a grade C eventually. And um and also getting B's and C's across the board, which is quite fantastic. So in your is it a uh, your your organization within the framework of potential unlocked tuition? One of the things that you mentioned to me was that learning is a way of thinking. And that's exactly what you're describing to me right now. So can you kind of talk a little bit about this uh, learning as a way of thinking about when you said to me, we all have greatness, uh, discovering a, a child or student's gifts and talents. Obviously, your mom and dad were helping you discover those. Talk to me a little bit about the philosophy that, that is behind potential unlocked tuition. Well, the philosophy behind potential unlocked is in a name itself, potential unlocked, and the whole ethos of helping children and young people to see their potential through the mind's eye, to believe in their potential, and having that potential unlocked metaphorically. And by that I mean and that all of us have infinite potential, potential the, I, the whole notion of who we, who we can become eventually, and that is unlimited. Um, but what makes it finite is our mindset around who we are. And that includes um, how we think about learning. And what I have found over the years working with children and young people in a variety of environments is that we are a reflection of our self-concept. And I'll explain. If we believe that we're going to fail, guess what? You are completely right. <laughs> Conversely, if you believe you're going to succeed, you are also completely right. And so it's helping young people to develop the mindset of you can succeed and it will succeed. And so the whole ethos of potential unlocked is founded on two principles that the result that we have achieved in our life, and that result could be our relationships, it could be our finance, it could be the grades that we have attained. Whatever we have achieved in our life to this point is a reflection of our mindset, the things that we have set our minds on, the things that we have forced on a very subconscious level, and the things that we believe as being true, uh, being our truth, and also our inaction or action, which is our behavior. And mm-hmm. uh, those things together, uh, mindset and action, will give us a particular result. And so what we do a potential unlock is helping young people and children to become aware of the things that they're thinking on a subconscious level and to become aware of the beliefs that they have chosen to believe by default or by choice. Uh, to become aware of the things that they're doing on, day, on a daily basis. And if, if that is aligned to their vision for their life, and once they become aware of those two things, the results will begin to work in their favor because why i'm sure you heard the other of the adage previously that success leaves clues and those clues no. are found <laughs> in our thinking I like that. I like that. and our actions so is that what you mean by the right mindset the right approach you use those terms when you spoke with me the last time um having the right mindset having the right approach it's all around this uh, mindset and action and whether we're we're thinking in terms of success or whether we're thinking in terms of 
and the anticipation of failing. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Because ultimately, uh, what we think will lay the foundation for our emotions. And so, for example, um, we dealt with a one of our students, one of the students who was going to private school. Um, she was getting grade E's in her exams repeatedly. But through examining, supporting her to examine her mindset and her methods of learning, was able to take her from a grade E to a grade B in wow. just under two terms. And within that was able to, what I call um, empowering thoughts and thoughts that helps you to see your potential, to believe your potential, thoughts that I can do this, I can succeed, I will succeed. And alongside giving her the tools needed to um, become aware of her learning flow. And learning flow is a, a place where learning becomes effortless and we're able to absorb information um, in a effortless effortless way. And that's called the, the learning flow. And helping her to find that flow when she got a grade B in a very seamless way. And that's an example of how we support students to develop that winning mindset, really. You used the term with me, erroneous thinking, when we were talking before. And um, uh, what I'm getting the f- feeling, I'm getting a better feeling uh, or understanding of what you mean by that. When you were talking with students um, and you understand what they're, what they're thinking, what's going on in their head, um, then you're able to put together how that erroneous thinking might have an effect on whether they're being successful or not successful. Is that, is that, am I applying that appropriately, would you say? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, as I said to you before, that whatever we think, we actually become. Um, and so I'll give an example, uh, working with a, uh, one of our students who believed that Maths was really, um, she wasn't getting a grade that she, that she wanted to achieve in the maths. Uh, through digging it a little deeper to understand her paradigm, she was beginning to lose distraction, lose focus in class. She was getting distracted, not being focused. And when I dug a little bit deeper, it turned out because whenever she came across questions that were really hard or challenging, she lose focus. So helping her to restrict her thinking meant that whenever she came across a hard question, she developed the, the capacity to work through those challenges and to be able to work it through and get the answers correct. But had we supported her with a methodology of learning without addressing her mindset, it meant that she would have still find the work hard and be distracted. And so what we say is learning really is a way of thinking. And if there was a sort of rule of thumb, I would say, we should focus more on the psychology of learning, uh, the mindset of learning, because once that is um, transformed, the grades will begin to grow as the confidence grows also, because grades follows confidence. So give me an example, David. Uh, a student comes in, someone, a parent wants you to work with one of their kids or, or a t- teacher recommends a student to you. And um, how do you go about understanding um, their mindset? How do you go about understanding what actions they're taking, perhaps that are self-defeating? 
what's the process of a of, of I'm sure the student doesn't understand what you're what you're looking for. They can't just tell you. So how do you go through that process with them? That's a great question, Judy. That's a great question. Um, so as I said to you before, that success needs clues. So we look to review daily practices. Um, so things like what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? Because obviously oh, if we're tired. Pretty basic stuff. Yeah. Okay. If we're tired, then we're not going to be learning effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at um, how they're currently learning at the moment. Uh, we look at things like the current learning strategy, the current attainments. Uh, we have a, a general conversation with them to discover um, what the thoughts are, attitudes are towards learning, where it came from, and so on. And over time, you begin to build a picture as to where they are right now and also where it came from as well. So, I mean, one of the things that I read in your book um, was that some of the inhibitors to learning, um, you mentioned strategies, but sometimes it's also how other people perceive you, another their peer peers' perception of them, what they think that other people are thinking about them. And um, also their behavior in um, in responding to the academic situation if they're very negative about not feeling that they can uh, achieve in in math they can't do math you know, you know sometimes kids will say to me I can't do math so um, some of those that that thinking that that way of uh, perceiving yourself which may come from other people also is an inhibitor to success as well would you would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. I mean, I want to give you an example, if I will. If you were to put a sponge in water, then we would know what, what the outcome would be, that whatever is in the water would appear in the sponge. Um, I'll go a step further. If you were to put, a, for example, a white sponge in pink water, then we'd know that the sponge would turn from white to pink. Mm-hmm. As a an example, um, by the same token, uh, we put children are a reflection of their of their environment, and so speaking as a as a parent, as an educator, um, my book outlines two principles by which we can develop a strong relationship with any child, and those principles is founded on connection and cultivation. I thought there were seven principles that govern your work with kids. Seven principles, absolutely. So okay. the seven principles, um, picture parents and and so on. I'm referring to within the parent segment of our methodology. Okay. There are two there are two principles called connection and cultivation. Yes. And so the points that I'm trying to um, allude to here essentially is Wi-Fi. We don't know the power of Wi-Fi unless it is turned off. Like at my house, we got, as you can see behind me, my photocopier behind me, my computer. We have a range of devices that is dependent upon the Wi-Fi. If that Wi-Fi um, turns off, then we will understand the the the, the effects of not having no Wi-Fi. There's, there is immediate chaos and the house will, will malfunction because it is purpose to use Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. All children, adults, Young people need to connect with, in the context of education, with 
practitioner or in case context of the home environment with a parent, if that connection is not there with a child, they will malfunction. That's where behavior comes in. Children like, like to feel safe, like to feel loved, reassured by what I say, somebody of authority around them, being a parent or an educator. And so what the book goes on to explain is how we can build that connection with our children so they feel safe, they feel loved, they feel protected, they feel respected uh, by the person of authority in their life. And the second principle is called cultivation. And cultivation is concerned with how are we able to, to enable children to see their potential, to see their gifts and talents, and have that, and have that gifts and talent unlocked. Um, helping to cultivate a character of excellence in young people. And so with the two principles, there are three methodologies um, that utilizes those principles. I want to focus more on what I call the empowering parent. Oh, well, you just took the words out of my mouth. I was going to ask you that next because <laughs> I sure. love that chapter. <laughs> sure. So um, the empowering parent or the empowering practitioner or an empowering um, carer mm-hmm. or an empowering sibling, these principles are quite universal. For a relationship to be effective, there has to be a, a, a balance of connection and cultivation with the children who are in our care. We you like also, David, David, you also talk about the disempowering parent model. Absolutely. So that's what I like is that you give, you know, the positive of how to move forward, but you also give a mirror in front of some of your readers so that they can see perhaps what they might need to address that might be counterproductive to, to the goals that they have. And that I like. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. (laughs) So, as I was alluding to previously, uh, an empowering parent has a balance of connecting with the children and a balance of cultivating the character and their gifts and talents. So, as I would suggest, empower means to help people, in this case, children and young people, to really develop in their potential, to really self actualize. That's what an empowering parent actually does. Conversely, a disempowering parent. And focuses more on cultivating the children, but haven't necessarily spent time in connecting with the children. That's called the disempowering parents. The challenge there. Wait, is, stop for a minute and explain that a little bit more. Sure. Okay, elaborate on that. Um, what specifically is called the disempowering parent, and why is that what happens? Okay, no problem. So a disempowering parent will um, focus mainly or preliminary on um, cultivating their children. So in other words, they focus on things like discipline, and that's a high priority for disempowering parents. Um, they think that their voice should be heard as a parent. Children's voice mustn't be heard. And there's more of an emphasis on to the journey. Um, so they're not really into developing emotional intelligence in their children. And so what happens is children tend to grow up being very much low in confidence and seeking reassurance for external stimuli. Um, so it could be teachers, friends, they seek external reassurance to say they are on the right path as opposed to being assured in themselves that they are doing the right thing. 
Um, and as a dip- disempowering parents model, they won't spend so much time connecting with the children or so spending what I call the three Ps, being very much present with a child and being in a moment with a child and spending that quite a time with the children so they feel understood. Um, asking things like, how's your day? Um, being also about buying children their presence so they feel appreciated. Um, affirming the children in terms of who they are and who they're becoming. And these are the keys of developing that connection with children. Um, and so one of the principles around connecting with children is a whole notion of serving, serving our children. How can we support our children to be the best versions of themselves? How do we speak words of life over children? How have we demonstrated that level of patience? Um, the time where you may be a bit frustrated, but pressing the pause in the moment and just demonstrating that, that patience with our children. These are all, all attributes of really connecting with children on a deeper level. You know, David, you're too young to remember this. But when I was raising children, there was a book out uh, by a doctor, um, uh, Spock, I think his name was. And um, and it, it, all the parents, I'm trying to remember his name, um, all of the parents used to use his book as a Bible for raising the children. When your child is crying, should you let them cry or should you go pick them up? How long should you let a baby cry? How long, you know, um, what kind of comfort do you provide? I mean, it was a, it was a how to of raising your children. Some of the theories have were, were, um, proven to be ineffective, but, um, that was the book that many of us used when you know in the in the 70s when you know when we were raising our children your book is the kind of book that parents could use as a guide to to um working with their kids giving very instructive productive and uh and effective i think ways of helping your child to develop as an independent uh, uh, confident, successful um, student and, and grow into, you know, a, a human being that's confident and successful. Um, one of the things that you, that you talk about in your book is navigating the educational maze. And, um, you know, there are so many, there so many, I don't know, quagmires, I call them, that parents are confronted with as their children are going through school. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit and, and ways that parents might want to address some of those issues as they come up? What are the issues that you're finding are more prevalent and, and what works and what doesn't work? Sure. So the whole notion of education remains is the idea of and now we're trying to go in a maze. But then the question is, how do we leave that particular maze in this context, educational maze? And so the idea here is, as parents, um, we not, may not be quite sure around the key milestones or how we can support their children to really flourish academically, socially, and also in a holistic way. And I'm sure it's every parent's wish that their children are fulfilled in what they're doing, um, both within school environment and post-education, the children are successful. But lastly, the children are transformed 
going to place a struggle to their success. And so the whole ethos of potential on that is almost like to be a, a beacon of light to parents, to be a standing board for parents so they're able to come to us, ask us questions, so we can support them with navigating the educational maze, ask the right questions, to seek out the right support, the right resources, so they are empowered then to be to make wise decisions for their children that will that will serve their children well into adulthood. Okay, so um, when parents are are faced with these kinds of issues, in your book you also have forms, uh, kind of reflective questioning kinds of things, and that's one of the reasons I found it so exciting. And I and I will mention that uh, to our listeners that I ordered your book, I got it, I loved it, I started talking to some of my parents about it. Um, because they were having some, uh, some of these same issues with their children. And one of the parents took it and I, to read, and I wanted to have it for this podcast. And I realized when I sat down that I never asked for it back. So she's had it now for probably a, a month and a half or a month. And obviously it has, uh, is still using it. I'm, I'm going to have to give her a call and see if I can get it back. Um, to let somebody else use it. But I, I would very much recommend that parents um, and teachers and educators and mentors and anyone who's working with kids take it, take the time to look at it, not because it's didactic, but because it's interactive and because it's reflective. And I think that it would be helpful for us to... <laughs> if we're honest with ourselves, to sit and think about what it is that we're doing and how effective we're, uh, we are in, in the choices that we've made. We have goals for our children. Um, that's something else I wanted to ask you about. I think that one of the, um, one of the criteria you have in working with kids is helping them find what their goals are. And I think that that was, I'm trying to remember, I think that was one of the, uh, one of the ways that you felt you could make a connection with a child or a student was to help them decide what it is they like and what it is they want to be. And that might be a motivating factor. Sometimes I don't think we take the time to ask our kids what they want to do. We just, you know, get upset that they didn't get a good grade in the science test, but we don't really talk to them about, you know, that they want to be an artist. And um, maybe the science test getting an A isn't the most important thing, but it is important that they pass it. So maybe we should work a little bit on at least getting, you know, a passing grade on it. We understand that it might not be your priority. Um, is that, would you say that that's a way to connect with kids? Um, at the end of your book, you talk about the execution and you say that the purpose model is an empowering tool. So, and I'm just wondering how that might, um, encompass helping them find, develop a goal, seeing down the road, planning ahead a little bit, developing sure. execution. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I think the key thing here is helping children to become aware of the things that they have a natural uh, flair for, or having kids to, to develop, develop awareness of their gifts and talents. 
Um, all of us on this earth are unique in that we've got unique blend of gifts and talents that is unique to each person. You are not a carbon copy. You are unique in your own right. There's no other you on this earth except for yourself. And so as educators and parents, um, our job is to help our children and young people to become aware of those gifts and talents and supporting them in, in reaching mastery in that gift and talent. And so the goal there should be is helping children and young people to become aware of those gifts, to grow in those gifts and talents, but also to find expression too, which, which lends itself well to the whole notion of what I call the vocational paradigm. And what that term suggests is vocation in the Latin is referred to as vocation, which means one's calling. And all of us have a calling based on our gifts and talents to serve the world with excellence for our gifts and talents. And so our job is essentially to dig deep, find out what it is, and find a way to serve the world through our gifts and talents to make a difference, to make an impact. And so I want to ask you some reflective questions for those of you who are listening. Um, take me to a time where you were so engrossed in a, in a activity where 10 minutes felt like a minute, or more importantly, 10 hours felt like an hour. What in that moment, what was you doing in that moment? Great question. Now, if you can ask that question, that's a strong indicator that you are aware of what your passion actually is. And your passion is, um, which includes your gifts and your talents. Conversely, on the other side of the continuum, take me to a time where an hour felt like <laughs> eternity. History class, history class. Oh my gosh. <laughs> felt like eternity. Now, if that is your current job, your current business, it means that you are likely to be in what I call the occupational paradigm. And what that term suggests means that we, you are working to make a living because it pays the bills and that's it. But I want to encourage you today that you are purposed for greatness and that you are purposed to have your potential unlocked. And so I want to make the transition, if you are in occupational paradigm, to go into the vocational paradigm. You talked about, we, we just have time for one more uh, question that I'm going to ask you. Um, you talked about an effective, the effective execution of a plan include, has three components that you mentioned to me, strategy, accountability, and self-discipline. And you've probably talked a little bit about strategy, and, but um, can you kind of address the accountability and the self-discipline component of execution a little bit? Absolutely. So many of us can go to a seminar, a conference, can listen to a speaker, motivational speaker, can read books. And we feel this spur of motivation. I want change. I want to improve my life. That's motivation. The motivation will take you to the door. Discipline will take you into the room. <laughs> and so it's about having that motivation to get going, build that intrinsic motivation, we want to improve our lives. But once we gain the momentum, 
discipline keeps the momentum going at full throttle. And so that discipline means that we are determined to reach our goal and to um, exceed our targets. Determination means it's not, it's not about me, myself and I. It's <laughs> about a legacy, making a difference. So that's the, that's the discipline to keep going. To make, to make a difference. So discipline is the ingredient to being consistent and persistent. That is the absolute ingredient to, to, to achieving success. And all great people are very disciplined because they are consistent being persistent. Um, so that's the, <laughs> consistent being persistent. I like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Because success leaves clues. And one of the clues that successful people do that they are consistent being persistent. So whenever they hear the word no, they're thinking, well, what's the solution? How can I attain my goal? It might not be today, maybe tomorrow, next next week, next year, but that goal, your reality, if you dare to believe and being consistent, being persistent. Um, the next one you mentioned was about um, strategy, which is really important, having a clear strategy uh, that will take you from A to B. But the strategy is underpinned by accountability. And that accountability can show up in a variety of roles to include maybe a coach, a life coach. Uh, it could include a mentor. It could, it could include a consultant, a counsellor. And so those roles will have um, a need based on a current situation. So the role of a mentor is to show you the road that is to come, to identify potential potholes, and to help you to navigate those potholes so you don't make the mistakes that your mentor made. As a mentor, they will help you and guide you through a relationship. Um, whereas a consultant is there to give guidance these are the steps you can take. These are my these are my recommendations after you go as a consultant. And whereas a coach will ask thought thought provoking questions, they will help you to reflect on the answer to the question. They help they hold you to account by setting meaningful goals and helping you to get to your destination. That's a coach. And so all of us need one of those in our life at some point, a mentor, a coach, consultant. So accountability, when I, when I heard the word accountability, I'm thinking um, uh, admitting to myself that I didn't do well or that I didn't, but that's not what you're saying. You seem to be saying accountability is taking responsibility for how to find uh, someone to support you in in getting from point A to point Z um, and and navigating through that quagmire, as I call it, uh, until you, you find fruition in what it is that you want to do. Accountability is saying to yourself, I'm not doing what I need to do in order to be successful. Is that kind of what you're saying succinctly? I'm finding someone who can help you with that? Absolutely, because you know, all successful people are responsible um, and they are accountable for their actions. They are responsible for the successes and their learnings. I don't say failure, we say learnings because uh -huh. learnings is feedback as to what you need to tweak to achieve a level of success. 
And so the, the key thing here is that we are accountable for our actions. We seek out, we seek out support to help us with guts and knowledge uh, or skills. So we, we're able to get to where we need to get to with the right support. As well. David, we only have a few more minutes. I know you have another book that is, has come out. I want you to tell me uh, succinctly why, if we've read book one, it's important for us to move on to book two. What is book two going to provide for us that you know the first part of the story did not include? That's a great question. <laughs> you must get this book. If you are an educator and working with children within education, if you are a policy maker, influencing change, if you are a parent that wants the best for your children, this book is for you. All right. Our, our listeners are not going to be able to see that. So give us the title. Give us the title, Inspire Your Child's Greatness. And it's by exactly. David C. Hall. Okay. Inspire Your Child's Greatness. Um, it's a book written to give you the seven principles that will guide children, young people from their struggle to their success. And the roadmap there is through our methodology, which is seven steps. You heard right. Yeah, that's the, that's steps. what we talked about before, the seven principles. Okay. Absolutely. Right. To take you from struggle to your success. And those seven principles are around developing um, a picture of your success for your mind's eye. And that's around personal leadership because you cannot go forward unless you understand where you're coming from, but equally where you're going, that's personal leadership. The second uh, principle is around parents developing the winning environment in the home environments that will support that success in picture. And the third P is called program and developing the right habits, routines that will be a support to the picture that you have identified through your mind's eye. And the fourth P is partnership and collaborating with educators, professionals, that will give um, parents the tools and strategies to support the children, but conversely, support children with really maximizing. Fifth P is practice. Practice makes permanent or practice makes progression. And so learning the school of how to learn, how to be a lifelong learner, um, to really tap into your learning flow, to be able to get the grades that you deserve. Um, if you, whether you are an academic learner or a creative learner, which one, whichever one you are, and I'll, I'll explain. All of us are born creative. We're able to get, um, ideas. We're able to solve meaningful problems through our creativity. Um, uh, but as we embark on formal education, we make this transition from being a creative learner to being an academic learner. Now, but a creative, they are able to draw a picture to, to convey what they can see with their mind's eye. But within academia, we train our young people to use words, uh, to use words to explain what they can see with their mind's eye. That's called an academic learner. The challenge that we have, not all children are able to make the transition from being a creative to being an academic. And what that means within the school environment is the children who are creative typically 
are neurodiverse and typically uh, tend to progress into middle to bottom sets at school. Whereas like, academic learners, they tend to progress into middle to top sets and do really well. And so our strategy is to help the creatives to really move up sets by learning in more of a creative way. And then and the academics also to be supported with reaching their full potential. So that's a practice element of our methodology. Uh-huh. Then we have a uh, passion, helping our young people to be, to be attuned to their gifts and talents and being aware of what they are, being aware of how they can be developed. And lastly, we unpath. That's the seventh uh, principle. And that's more concerned with helping our young people to find the right route or where they're Gifts and talents can be can be effectively deployed, uh, and and so the world make a difference. But also, and uh, to be aware of how to um, how to spend money through financial education, and the whole ethos of being a lifelong learner. So there are the seven step principles that would, that would take young people from struggle to their success. That's great. I hope that it's interactive. Is it interactive like the other one? It it is self reflective kind of a book. Absolutely. Okay, that's wonderful, David. I have so enjoyed speaking with you in the past, and um, again today, we you have so much to share with us, and I I'm looking forward to getting the next book and um, sharing that with some of my parents as well. I hope that our listeners agree that this is some important stuff that we've been talking about today. We have kids that are really frustrated with what is going on in uh, our schools, in our culture, in our world today, and it's hard for them to focus on their academics. It's hard for them to not be worried about what's going on in uh, with their friends and their families, and David's book is a wonderful foundation of information to be able to help with that. I hope you keep in touch and peruse the coming podcast uh, that we have lined up for the spring with all of our professionals who will be supporting us in some of the questions that we have in working with our kids in the world atmosphere that we have at the moment. Thank you all. Uh, Keep safe and stay connected. Thank you. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you, mentors, for being with us today. If you found this podcast of value, please visit JustEducationFirst.com to subscribe to our blog and Mentorship and Education podcast so that you may continue the exploration with us. Our goal is to provide a free treasury of information for our listeners so they can become acquainted with the amazing resources that we have available to us. We want to thank all of our guests for giving their time and sharing their wealth of information with us. Please also visit their websites and explore more of their resources to further your pursuit of the topic. Hope to hear from you at JustEducationFirst.com. Have a good week and thank you.